Welcome to Contingent Workforce Weekly, part of the Arden Partners Podcast Network. My name is Christopher Dwyer, and I'm your host, and you can follow me on Twitter at CJD underscore Arden. Welcome to episode 504 of Contingent Workforce Weekly. to another edition of the Contingent Workforce Weekly Podcast. As always, my name is Christopher Dwyer, and I am your host. If you're finding us via cporising.com, well, thanks for tuning in. But you can also subscribe to Contingent Workforce Weekly on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Subscribers have first access, early access, to Contingent Workforce Weekly every Wednesday morning before it's posted on cporising.com. But again, you're listening, so we're happy. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, seriously, gr- great to be back. I know we took a week off last week, but uh, coming out of the long weekend, uh, I know a lot of us were on vacation. I was not. My vacation's coming up in, in a couple weeks, but I imagine many of you were enjoying these early days of July, and we are back here with another all-new podcast, and very excited to welcome another very, very special guest to Contingent Workforce Weekly, uh, someone that I haven't known for a very long time, but I've gotten to know very well over the past four or five months, and he and I um, are very, very well aligned on many subtopics within the future of work movement, and of course, especially within the greater realm of contingent workforce management. So, um, before we dive into that conversation, uh, one thing I want to talk about is, you know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, and I've gotten a lot of commentary on this, is we've, we've run two articles on the reality of contingent workforce growth over the second half of 2020. And those of you that have read this year's State of Contingent Workforce Management research study, I mean, obviously know that we at Arden Partners and obviously here at Contingent Workforce Weekly really do believe that we're going to see an uptick in utilization of non-employee talent, whether it's gig workers, freelancers, contractors, traditional staff og, and contingent workforce over the next six months, especially as more and more businesses uh, go through these so-called phased reopenings. Um, you know, here in, here in Massachusetts, we just moved into phase three, I think, last week. The city of Boston actually just kicked off this week, uh, and I know around the country, uh, obviously, even with uh, some of the bigger COVID hotspots popping up in the South and the Midwest, and even on the West Coast, uh, you know, there there are some questions about whether, you know, not to get into this discussion today, but whether states opened up uh, too early, whether um, where restrictions uh, should have been put in place. But but no matter how the next few months plays out, um, if the majority of businesses are staying open, and it looks like that is going to be the case, maybe some service industries, of course, maybe not. But um, we really do believe that uh, this, this continually evolving contingent workforce is going to continue to grow. And so if you hadn't had the opportunity yet to check out uh, those those articles, uh, head over to cporising.com. Uh, had a wide range of commentary um, from some leaders in the contingent workforce technology arena as well uh, on their specific thoughts on whether we'll see contingent workforce growth, whether we'll see extreme contingent workforce growth, uh, and some other commentary as well on uh, the state of today's workforce, of course, with everything that is happening uh, in the world today. So definitely uh, check those articles out, and you may even notice some some past 
uh, Contingent Workforce Weekly podcast guests in, in those lists of, of, of quotes and commentary, including today's very, very special guest. And really excited to be joined by uh, the CEO of Will Hire, Praneeth Patlola. Uh, Praneeth and I have gotten to know each other very well over the past few months, uh, you know, from a very... Uh, very short LinkedIn message, maybe towards the beginning of the year, to uh, you know, to, to talking to each other, maybe every couple of weeks. Um, we've really bonded over this uh, topic of direct sourcing, and uh, we do have a all direct sourcing episode of, of Contingent Workforce Weekly coming up later in the month that uh, we're going to dive into a lot of the topics that uh, that Praneeth and I talk about today. But um, if you've read this year's State of Contingent Workforce Management Report. If you haven't, what are you waiting for? Um, you'll know that talent pool curation and development and direct sourcing are the two biggest focal areas, two biggest priorities for organizations in 2020. And those and those areas are going to be even more important um, as businesses start to ramp up hiring later in the year, or even if they're not ramping up hiring. One of the many things that Praneeth and I talk about uh, are the nurture-based strategies for candidates and your talent pools. And so uh, a lot of interesting discussion, um, not just in today's conversation, but you know, direct sourcing is a topic that we are going to cover in a lot more detail. And we'll have some news later in the month about a brand new Arden Partners research report called the Direct Sourcing Toolkit that I've been working on for the past few weeks. We are really, really excited about this brand new research study. Um, I, it, direct sourcing has become a topic that I mean, I've been covering it for a while, but um, really immersed myself in uh, in the viability of direct sourcing, the strengths, the impact, the how-tos, the lessons learned, how to build a direct sourcing program, uh, the pitfalls to avoid. Uh, this direct sourcing toolkit is pretty much going to have everything you need as a business leader, a hiring manager, procurement executive, an HR executive, whether you're running your organization's contingent workforce program, uh, the direct sourcing toolkit is going to be something that um, I hope that you are have highlighted passages, you're dog-earing it. Uh, it. It really is going to be the essential guidebook to direct sourcing for 2020 and beyond, and we are very, very excited about that. I am also very, very excited about my conversation with Praneeth Patola of Will Hire, their CEO, who spent some time with me this week chatting about the Will Hire platform, direct sourcing, and the evolution of the contingent workforce. Enjoy. We are very excited to welcome another very, very special guest here to the Contingent Workforce Weekly podcast. This week, I'm joined by Praneeth from Will Hire, Will Hire CEO. Praneeth, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, hello, Chris. Thanks for uh, giving me this opportunity to join in here. Thank you. So, Praneeth, um, I think you and I first chatted uh, a few months ago, and uh, we've gotten to know each other very well over the past few months. But uh, I think it'd be great for the audience to uh, to hear a little bit more about yourself and, and Will Hire. Uh, sure. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> A uh, little bit about myself. Well, uh, I always think uh, I'm still an engineer, and as I'm an engineer at heart, who tries to write code almost every day, <laughs> once in a while. Uh, but uh, my background, uh, uh, being in engineering, what brought me into the uh, contingent staffing side of the business was uh, a personal frustration, which I personally went through when I was onboarding in uh, my first contingent job here in Austin. Uh, uh, at Accenture, and 
uh, I, although I got a job through an employer referral uh, that led me to repurpose or leverage several different companies uh, who are suppliers in that program uh, to figure out a way to work with them. And uh, it was surprising to me that there was an information gimmick of uh, somebody knowing what's the right rate for asking uh, for the job, which, where I knew what was the rate. So um, it was a bit frustrating process. That took me oh, in the last few years over a journey of uh, how to optimize the contingent staffing process or even the talent acquisition process, which uh, led to my start of the HR tech journey, where we did several experiments in uh, attempting to build a Venn management system for the state of Texas, uh, building what we called as a resume search engine uh, for uh, online SEO for resumes online. And then later, uh, uh, another uh, a really successful item for me was building a recruitment marketplace called jobhook.com, uh, which was enabling the recruitment community to source talent on demand as the growing uh, uh, freelance community within the recruiters has been growing significantly in the past few years, uh, which led me to more deep dive into how do I repurpose that and called it as crowdsourcing for contingent labor uh, through this talent sourcing approach, uh, which led to more of the real acquisition into CompuNell. Uh, which was one com one of the companies in the staffing industry who acquired us. And then uh, my latest adventure is an extension to one of the experiments which we went under Jobhook, trying to figure out how uh, the talent sourcing or the modern day talent uh, HR tech sourcing approach is more applicable uh, in, in the larger contingent world, uh, which has a vendor management system, uh, a self-managed or an MSP program, uh, and that gave birth to Will Hive, which is now an independent spin-off uh, where uh, I lead the project, but I have a pretty uh, amazing team that are helping me to progress and grow the company now. Great. No, uh, uh, Praneet, appreciate the, the background. Again, obviously, you've uh, you spent a lot of time um, across this industry and, and multiple markets as well. So I'm really, really interested in hearing um, some of your commentary, your perspectives on um, the evolving world of work due to, you know, sort of what's happening out there today, you know, with, with pandemic and, and all of that. Very interesting question, Chris. Um, you know, I think uh, uh, we've been talking about this concept of digital workforce for quite some time. Um, you know, running a local HR tech group, uh, we, we call this as ATX HR, an Austin HR group, which is about 1,500 people. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, uh, get Deloitte to present their future of work, which they call as digital workforce. Uh, and a couple of years back, and they keep coming back and helping us learn the new changes. But one of the significant things which I've seen with the pandemic is uh, the vision of the digital workforce or the new age of workforce has been uh, expedited in terms of how the talent is attracted or uh, talent is engaged and even managed. Uh, there, were, there, there has always been a consistent debate on whether a remote worker uh, or con contract workforce should be allowed to work remote. For an example, in state of Texas, uh, uh, which engages huge amount of contract workforce, especially for IT side of their business, uh, which is about $700 million of program, uh, which serves the state of Texas agencies. 
never that been a scenario where uh, the candidates who are contractors were allowed to work from home but today everybody in that it space work from home and i was talking to a few candidates uh, how they feel about it did they feel privileged or did they, did they like it did not like it and everybody just loves it because this is what they were uh, uh, fighting for because of the traffic issues they have to deal with all the all the state buildings majorly relocated uh, located in the in the central of the city so you, you commute it was a big problem so on a candidate front i think the generational mind shift of the millennials which has happened and over the past few years where most of uh, if you see the latest uh, group of talent 18 months or less is their appetite to stay at a single job uh, and uh, unless they have been challenged heavily on their existing role or a new project in a consulting opportunity they don't stick around longer so the span of retention has gone very very lower against like if you look at 15 20 years back it was nearly on an average span of minimum of a decade but that has changed significantly in the recent time and uh, the the most of the workforce in today's world prefers to work remotely because flexibility of work has been huge so what this all has been driving is uh, there is a bigger question in the market today how do we plan for the next uh, uh, post pandemic future do we need to invest uh uh into more physical uh, co-located offices anymore and what uh, would that impact for because uh, if, if you have seen or heard the news of uh, what is happening in the bay area every every company is rethinking and i read this news that uh, one of the high growth startup companies who, uh, who owns a significant real estate uh, or invested into significant real estate in sfo downtown were rethinking to <laughs> change their offices to a hotel so that uh, Uh, people who are traveling to the bay area can repurpose instead of spending that money uh, from from the budget point or travel budget procurement budget point uh, not in the hotels but actually like airbnb their own uh, space so there is a lot of significant uh, uh, changes or uh, rethinking of how talent uh, uh, could be managed or even engaged and this gives a more significant interest for contingent labor especially because many a times uh, uh, we have heard in the most recent 3 months uh, uh, people coming us and asking us we see a significant growth going to happen in our talent pool specifically for the divide between full time versus contract the contract is numbers are going to go up uh, given that most of the full time employees are through the pandemic when they were furloughed or when they were uh, uh, asked to say can you cut down your hours they didn't see a higher value in being a full time employee and uh, they prefer to work contract uh, or become a contingent workforce so i think uh, i think most of this is leading to this new age of how do we use freelancers how do we use contract labor but also how do we efficiently onboard remote workers with securities measures in place Uh, with uh, also training internal leadership or middle mid level management leadership to manage remote workers because there is a lot of empathy managers have to build when you're working with remote workers which is not similar to what you do with co-located workers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people are working from home with kids around <laughs> these days so we need to get used to that so there is a lot of new norms which are getting rewritten uh, in uh, what is happening in in that new evolving world right Oh, great, great answer, Praneeth. And, and there's so much there in your response to 
to unpack, um, you know, one of the things that um, I really want to home in on, um, and you mentioned so many phrases that are applicable to the to this uh, strategy of direct sourcing from, you know, engagement, acquisition, uh, talent pools, candidates, all those words to me are, um, are very, very well aligned with this, with this concept of direct sourcing. And so, um, you know, the longtime listeners of, of the Contingent Workforce Weekly podcast know uh, that we've been talking about direct sourcing for some time. And, and in Arden's new research study, the State of Contingent Workforce Management uh, for 2020, uh, we found that talent pool curation, talent pool development, and direct sourcing programs um, are the, the, the top priorities for businesses this year. And so, Praneeth, I'll throw it back to you. Why is direct sourcing such a hot topic today? Great question, Chris. In fact, uh, I was even wondering this myself uh, for some time. Why isn't a direct sourcing, like flipping back the other way of question, why isn't a direct sourcing a hot topic or the not more than a hot topic, but it should be normal. So uh, as I told you, my, my background came, uh, was majorly serving HR, uh, HR tech side of the business where the majority of the talent acquisition space is fairly matured. Uh, the terminology and the conversations which we have on uh, talent acquisition uh, yearly or quarterly board meetings or any conversations which we have in our groups are going to be how do I reduce my cost of acquisitions on my landing pages, which are my job careers pages? Or how do I create internal mobility using data science approach or AI and machine learning? Or uh, in other words, how do we engage talent better through a talent CRM mechanism? That's been the conversation, which in any of the larger enterprises is become a normal topic. This is not like something fancy or no. Majority of them are fairly adopted this for past couple of years uh, and why direct sourcing uh, to to answer the re answer that question even in a different way why direct sourcing has become this hot topic in the contingent workforce programs today and i think uh, as similar to any other digital transformations uh, like remote work or anything procurement groups and companies have always are thinking about that pandemic has taught them a lesson recently uh, uh, majorly through ability to have a dynamic workforce scalability. Uh, at the same time, how do you ensure? Uh, how do you ensure that you can uh, uh, have a talent pool management strategy so that you can one address the time to fill faster because then you need a huge amount of frontline workers and uh, 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 a essential workforce in, in a rapid fashion. Uh, and you're still dependent on a traditional mechanisms, it is not going to work the way you would expect the output to be. And the only way is to be prepared for it or to have enough processes and tools uh, uh, to enable yourself in a more mature talent acquisition side, which is where the talent pools are going to be very handy, where you segment that into very specific to your program by growing and building a vetted private talent pool and also strategizing your public outbound or inbound talent sourcing approach, which is part of all direct sourcing approach, but also repurposing the brand. If you think about the HR technology or HR transformations for the past couple of years, employer branding is a significant 
uh, investment made by several organizations. You check any of the large enterprise careers pages, there is videos, there is life at our company, there is testimonials from the talent. There are also managers telling why you should consider ours. There is huge amount of investment made on social media on promoting what we call the talent brand. And when so much of investment is going on, at the same time, nothing has changed for past several years in the contingent side. And what companies are looking at us, if we want to attract and engage talent in a more dynamic fashion, it is extremely important also to ensure we have an attraction strategy using our employer branding so that we can, uh, for talent as an employer, they become the employer of choice or pay attention to when a new job is opened up. All this has given uh, a transformation towards our attention to the procurement group uh, and totally bringing that total talent management concept together. But I think in my world, uh, I call it as total talent acquisition because management of talent or contingent to avoid co-employment issues is a completely different topic to dealt with, which is part of the direct sourcing concept. But uh, attraction strategies and talent engagement strategies and how do you non-intrusively engage talent when 67% of talent is today applying for a job on their mobile and there is no means for your contingent talent to apply or even find which job is open your program, which doesn't kind of speak for it, right? So uh, pandemic can definitely expedited. In fact, our phones have been ringing nonstop for the past couple of weeks and months now uh, asking for how do we uh, build a better contingent talent acquisition strategy, primarily one for cost savings, because now big companies are rethinking their cost savings abilities, saying that reducing markups is not only the strategy or asking for rebate discounts is the strategy which is age old now in a mature program. What is our next step of cost savings? And is it a short-term or a longer-term strategy? When you think about a long-term talent acquisition strategy, there is no other place but direct sourcing is a way to go. Although people call it as direct sourcing, for me, it's talent acquisition strategy for temp labor. Great. Thank you, Praneeth. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, very uh, passionate uh, uh, overview of, of why direct sourcing is, is, has become such a, a hot topic. And I, I want to segue that discussion into, into what Willhire does. I mean, obviously, I've, I've uh, taken a peek at the platform uh, several times, but, um, you know, I, I think our audience would love to understand, you know, number one, how, how does it support direct sourcing and what's its link to contingent workforce technology? Awesome. Uh, well, thanks for asking that question. <laughs> I'll not try to promote myself too much, but I'll try to keep it very neutral as such to the capabilities of direct sourcing, which are must-to-haves and what we have uh, today, right? So as a platform, uh, just to give you a background, this is not something which we started building a couple of months back. This is something which we have been building as a technology behind the scene for quite some time back in my job days. In terms of how we do things in Wilhire, we go by three primary philosophies. One is uh, attract, curate, and engage. That's what we call. Uh, so our attract, curate, and engage kind of covers all the components of direct sourcing, and that's how we operate. So in terms of uh, Wilhire, we have the platform as a service, as we'll go deeper into it. But on the right side, we also have a plug-and-play what we call as a partner-supported or a self-supported direct sourcing, managed direct sourcing service, which includes 
talent curation, talent engagement, or even the compliance governance, and then the payrolling part of it, which is supported by several of our industry partners. We are very much uh, partner dependent as a company when it comes to technology or when it comes to our operational model, which is why um, our partners have been our, uh, 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 our best bets so far in our company. So why I say that is in, in terms of our attraction strategy, for an example, in our platform, right? So uh, when a new job is coming out in VMS, today, our goal was how do we not disrupt an existing process, make it fairly simple plug and play for contingent workforce so that they're bringing this alternate source of uh, talent sourcing channel in addition to their supplier sourcing channel because we are not trying to disrupt or even uh, 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 remove the existing supply. Rather, we want to stay complementary but competitive enough in the program to bring in efficiencies, which is why VMS integrations have been very, very crucial. And I've been working on that VMS integrations uh, strategies for past couple of years since 2014, I believe, when I first had this conversations with VMS companies. Uh, and we are today integrated with SAP Field Glass very closely. And we are doing some really amazing things uh, with SAP Field Glass uh, on the buyer side of the APIs, uh, which barely are used in today's world. Uh, but we are uh, focused on enhancing that buyer side of APIs or repurposing that into Villa's platform so that it's not one-sided, but two-sided. Mm -hmm. In a simple fashion, when a new job is coming in, the distribution list pushes that into a uh, uh, list of suppliers. Very similarly, through an API integration, we get that, uh, uh, whether it's SAP Field Class, Vector VMS, whether it's Coupa or Beeline. Now, many a times uh, when the APIs are not mature and sophisticated, you probably know this already, not every VMS has an API, which is fairly sophisticated in today's world, which is why we have very early on, we have invested into bots. So we have bots sitting between uh, a VMS on our platform, which does exactly what an API does to pull the jobs and push the candidates into the VMS. Also sync the data of timesheets, work order and interview information because uh, we built and invested into the technology, not waiting for the technology to be developed, but create that placeholder until the API integrations are done. And we today are able to bring up any instance for a customer in less than 25 uh, 24 hours and all it is is basically configure as similar to your supplier access for the job categories which you want to do direct sourcing. Once the jobs are coming into a platform, we have this blended sourcing approach where our integrations are dependent on a hundred partners which we have today, which gives us access to 2000 plus very diverse international sourcing capabilities where you, the job is published through organic job boards about near to thousand but also inorganic, like we're talking about monster or indie CPC campaigns or monster CPC campaigns or job slot models, or even career builder, LinkedIn, N number of channels. That is outbound sourcing approach. In terms of inbound sourcing, when candidates are applying for a job, which is kind of a job posting coming in port, we made the process like super simple and non-intrusive, which is some of the lessons I've learned from our HR tech world to make the pages highly mobile accelerated responsive and make it super simple to apply with your existing uh, profiles online like LinkedIn or Indeed or even one click application from your cloud resume. Once the candidate is coming in, 
We also have assessment capabilities like Glida.ai is one of our partners, which we have integrated so that it's a plug and play service. So the candidates are qualified at an entry level at a talent pool, uh, uh, entry or an applicant level, or even on an ongoing basis, you can run campaign mechanisms where the candidates are engaged through a very non-intrusive campaigns. We build this in terms of like, if I had to build my own talent product company, how would I do that as a company? That's how what we envision to build it so that we build the whole talent CRM, whether it's text or email both ways as a two-way communication built within the platform, also extended for mobile application. And when initially when we launched the mobile application, it was not very successful. And we were finding out why it is not successful because people have enough applications on their mobile. So who would do that? Well, we found our niche space. Today, we have an on-demand mobile application, which is only focused on shift management, where we made it like super simple to categorize and address that on-demand shift, which is like 40% of the enterprise labor category when you're looking at a larger programs. So we made it super simple to ensure without disrupting your existing process, your facility managers can request a worker. The requisition is created automatically into your VMS and released and matched against your existing talent pool, the matching engine matches the best candidates and sends out text and email notifications or even mobile push notifications to subscribe and engage automatically. So um, I, I, I still want to keep it like super high level, but I think as I've indicated, our integrations are with VMSs in an existing talent contingent ecosystem, but also with our talent sourcing partners. And the last part is, uh, we experimented and been heavily successful on what we call as bot or robotic sourcing. Mm -hmm. uh, for an example, with resume library or even monsters database or LinkedIn's sourcing database, we are able to access about more than 300 million profiles, but curate them based on a matching criteria so that uh, a, a systematic bot does the outbound reach out automatically for the first 25 candidates from a given source through email to bring them back to gain interest. If you think about recruiting, there is outbound and inbound. We just automated both sides of the story so that the talent pool is growing at a 10x rate. Awesome. So, so Praneeth, <clears throat> appreciate the sort of the, the technological perspective there. And of course, it's great for our audience to learn more, a little bit more about how Will Hire actually, you know, helps its customers. Um, I want to pivot a little bit and, and talk about, uh, back to the, you know, the, the hot topic of direct sourcing. Um, one of the things that, uh, as, a, as an industry analyst that I've been researching for quite some time, um, are the, the, the sort of like the, the organizational barriers, right, to implementing a uh, direct sourcing program, whether it's, you know, whether it starts with issues in talent pool curation, or it's just getting organizational buy-in. Um, I'd love to hear from you on <clears throat> how companies can overcome some of these barriers, whether, of course, it's, it's the lack of the proper technology, whether it's decentralized talent, uh, talent acquisition or talent engagement, whether it's just a problem of getting those talent pools linked to greater enterprise recruitment streams. You know, if, if you looked at the average organization that are, that, that's experiencing some of these issues, you know, what would your guidance be on how to overcome some of these barriers? 
That's a great question, Chris. In fact, uh, uh, I could bring back my three and a half years of learnings in educational journeys and whiteboarding sessions I went through with organizations in, in trying to make understand why direct sourcing is important and what triggered the thought process and how they went through. I think one of the major uh, hurdles, which uh, uh, barriers for entry into direct sourcing is especially technology. If you as a program, as a company, you do not have an existing vendor management system. And if you have a very small program where you don't predict or, uh, uh, or have enough spend within the program, uh, it, it is going to be a very difficult decision to see whether direct sourcing is applicable to your program as a company or not in an enterprise, right? But when you have a larger program, it becomes very obvious uh, uh, to look at, uh, you know, uh, how and what would be our goal or pathway or what do you want to get out of direct sourcing? So we advise companies first to understand and go through the investigative journey saying why you would want to in investigate, find out the why's. If you can't find out the why's, you cannot sell it internally because when you, whenever we went through any of the transitions, one of the biggest challenges we found is that companies who already have a vendor management system in place uh, and have a self-managed program, they have a high adoption rate of direct sourcing or uh, easier to navigate through that process because they're able to make decisions faster and better uh, because there's less number of players influencing a decision. So you're now trying to make decision faster and you are basically talking to your internal leadership group on the procurement or the uh, or, or, the, or the people who are the primary decision makers on the continued program to say, is there an investment to be made internally on resourcing or strategy or preparing? The second barrier, uh, importantly, which we keep hearing every day is, I do not want to disrupt which is going on well, which means the supply program existing, and they do not want to make their suppliers unhappy. At the same time, uh, on a daily basis, if you see what goes on into the program, it's about a lot of manual activity, but also about engaging suppliers to perform better. And if they don't perform, rationalize them immediately. So that happens when they don't perform the rationalize. It's all about, uh, we try to ask customers to think through this. This is an optimization model. As a strategic sourcing managers and strategic uh, strategy thinkers, we expect the strategy of a continued program to drive more optimization. When we inject that thought into procurement strategy, immediately they get it. And they say, yes, now I get it because now I would like to create an alternative source of channel, but I do not want to invest into it because we do not have resources. So in terms of resourcing or implementing or barriers to direct sourcing, even if a customer is interested in doing that, the biggest hesitance we have seen is we don't like to invest into it because one, we don't have resources. Two, we are thinking about cost savings, not to pre-invest anything. But uh, uh, an answer to that is many services, including ours, has a zero barrier to entry and zero investment to be made by organizations in terms of resourcing. The more investment is more of process investment saying, do you want to create a tier zero model? If you don't want to create zero model and day zero, that's fine, but you can still launch and implement quickly in going that. The biggest, another aspect which we have seen where uh, companies who have a very successful culture of referrals, of talent referrals, 
and they actually already have like a payroll company or an employer of record service where they call as manager or internally identified candidates they have seen significant uh, 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 significant interest or we have seen significant interest from them especially of the offering which we have made it as a plug and play launch your talent referrals for contingent labor which really does not exist today so that particular aspect of a customer having an intention referrals work amazing because of a company culture will make them rethink saying that why are you not doing this for your contingent program and that quick thought process when that question is asked within the program to from the leadership from a hr point or even the program managers internally made it like super super simple if uh, so vms technology if you don't have one it will be difficult to digest this fact of direct sourcing because now you're rethinking saying that i don't have a technology now i have to bring in a new technology they see this as a technology investment the, although many of the direct sourcing platform including ours can exist or coexist with or without vms but it is better the better value seen in a larger program sourcing approach companies have started to think about how do i engage 1099 workers but on the other side there is also the ab5 and ir35 which has becoming a bigger question how do we avoid this compliance risks which is where the agency of record employer of record services plug and play handy and direct sourcing actually really plays well in those cases because now fms or any 1099 or ic engagement strategy is plugged into your direct sourcing strategy in addition to this multiple talent pooling sourcing approach many a times what we also seen is uh, uh, companies who have light industrial category we have found out that a significant amount of light industrial or the on demand category labor is not even existing in the vms so when we brought it up why it is not going we understood there's a lot of reasons for localized talent uh, which makes it very difficult to depend and makes them more dependable on a local supplier but when you use the direct sourcing talent pooling strategy or even engagement of how do you repurpose your retirees network or prior tenure expired contract workforce or even former employees all this talent acquisition barriers open up and said yes that totally makes sense let me bring in all this multi talent source approach of all this talent pools into a mix and hold them to engage them better i think uh, it's less of a barriers but more of a thought process change for most part and uh, the biggest barriers which i see is like do you have a vms don't you have a vms do you have an msp what role does msp play in it uh, and the best part for us which we walk through the path of our partnership journey with one of the large msps in our space is uh, uh, we, we it took a while even for us to figure out what role does an msp play into this many a times it could be a completely hands off approach nothing changes in your program everything changes exactly the way it is it's just a digital additional channel approach of your plugging in but work with them closely to create a vision on a map saying that do i want to put a tier 0 model so i give the benefit of investment made into my private talent pool that you can make later on when it is applicable when your talent pool is ready for that but for light industrial category it is more applicable because when you have a talent in your talent pool you can engage and to the modern day of text matching mechanism you can fill this role in a couple of minutes not hours yeah pranith i i really do appreciate sort of the the the, the deep dive into uh 
into into getting over these uh, barriers to direct sourcing, um, you know, we and I think you and I have chatted about this offline. Um, we're in the midst of writing a uh, direct sourcing toolkit that I, I would imagine <laughs> would be very helpful for businesses as they they start to think about, uh, you know, building a direct sourcing program and obviously how to overcome some of the barriers that you were just uh, you were just chatting about. Um, I do have one more question for you, and this has been a fantastic discussion. Again, we appreciate you taking the time. Um, what's your long-term outlook for for direct sourcing and direct sourcing technology? I mean, do we do you see it sort of not just a um, not just sort of a here and now, you know, very uh, very important, critical to how businesses can uh, expand their channels of talent today, given what's happening out there in the market, but longer term as well. So, what are your thoughts? Great question. I think uh, the way I think about us is, you know, uh, uh, now we are not in the war of talent, given there is decent amount of talent out there, but uh, that being said, there is still war of talent going on when it comes to niche-based talent. They're still not available because they're too busy doing too many projects uh, in the current world. So uh, the skill gap, we have already experienced uh, that there's a lot of skill and reskilling need within organizations because of uh, uh, the latest technologies or the equipments or even the hardware or manufacturing side, everything, the automation going to the next level with robots in the place. There's a lot of transformation is happening within the organizations or within how talent pursues the organizations or how talent is engaged. Uh, and uh, very specifically on how the dependency of organizations are going to be dependent uh, on contingent labor or more increase in the contingent labor. Having that said, without a blended talent sourcing approach or private talent pooling approach, uh, it would be difficult for them. So the, so the long-term outlook for us, when, when I look at on a very long-term point of view, organizations have been having this total talent management as an initiative for quite some time. And you'll be surprised that in many cases, this total talent management uh, did not include contingent labor for most part. <laughs> Uh, there was uh, some mix of uh, inclusion for uh, 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 FMS marketplaces or freelance engagement, but that was also in a confused mode a little bit. The long-term ta technology strategy is going to be how do you create a blended total HR technology approach, getting your HRIS, getting your HRIS, HRMS, applicant tracking system, your talent CRMs on both sides of it, where it comes to the VMS or the specific contingent labor focused direct sourcing and create a centralized talent pool to create, again, different swim lanes of engagement because the way you need to engage contingent labor is completely different to uh, contract uh, the full-time labor. So there is also centralization of the technology merger I see, but I think given the nature of what we have seen, organizations have gone through several, it's going to be that closer integrated approach uh, uh, it's not going to be one platform or not going to be one approach. It's going to be a blended sourcing approach. It's going to be a blended technology integration approach. And the better way to how do you create less barriers to entry with this pre-integrated uh, into this multiple uh, technology platforms, bringing that together so that now you have different people analytics dashboards for gauging and building predictability into your full-time versus contract, but also create like a exchange of talent between full-time and contract. So those swim lanes of HR talent acquisition versus procurement driven majorly the contingent side of the business come slowly together 
on the technology side, but also on the program management side where they'd be having probably more closer calls on strategy. How do you build better strategy? How do you repurpose? What tools you're using on the full-time side, like a job board or a job posting or a resume database? And how do you repurpose that into your direct sourcing platform, which we're using for contract labor? And how do you engage on-demand shifts? Because today, uh, organizations use a shift management platform for full-time employees differently, but there's no sh proper shift management platform for contract labor, <laughs> uh, which is integrated fully into VMS or that whole talent source engagement. So all this is going to come together in, in, in a centralized, what we call as talent nurturing into a, 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 a total talent nurturing and total talent acquisition. But the management of this talents probably is going to be independent in their own swim lanes where you have an employer of record or strategy which you are driving that for major part of compliance of uh, contract labor but full time on the other end is majorly driven to your internal payroll mechanism all uh, both kind of things comes together mm -hmm. excellent Pranit, appreciate the the insights there and of course wonderful conversation today uh, um, I know our audience will 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 see a lot of value in uh, in your commentary, your insights, and your guidance. And of course, uh, I appreciate you uh, stopping by to, to chat with us here on the, on the Contingent Workforce Weekly podcast. Thanks again. Obviously, we look forward to having you back on sometime in the future. Thanks a lot, Chris, and I uh, really appreciate uh, you know making this opportunity for me to contribute and anything I can help. Uh, to educate or even promote direct sourcing or the modern day of talent sourcing approach for continued labor. I just love doing that. Uh, as you can see, I'm super passionate about this topic. And uh, so anytime, uh, uh, any questions your audience has or anything they like to know more deeper, I know we touched at a very higher level, but uh, yeah. happy to help them in any way on a more educational journey they're going through. Uh, again, thanks a lot for bringing me here and giving me this time. Another fantastic discussion here on the Contingent Workforce Weekly Podcast. Big thanks to Praneeth at Will Hire for spending time with us. Great conversation there about the evolution of the Contingent Workforce and, of course, one of our favorite topics, direct sourcing. That is going to do it for this week's edition of the Contingent Workforce Weekly Podcast. We'll be back next week with another all-new episode. Have a safe and healthy week ahead. Thanks for tuning in to the Contingent Workforce Weekly Podcast, part of the Arden Partners Podcast Network. New episodes of Contingent Workforce Weekly drop every Wednesday on cporising.com and all of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio.